wow, about the only word I can say for describing what's happened the last two days. Uh, um, yesterday just went by, whoa, it did it again. Is, is it this? Let's turn that, let's see if that works. Um, yesterday was just a blur. Uh, it, everything went by so quickly. Um, the ordination itself uh, was much shorter than normal with all the restrictions. Uh, and, and once we finished with the ordination, had lunch with my family, um, went home, had a cup of coffee, immediately to St. Louis and Bayou Blue to get ready for my first Mass, um, which ended up being absolutely perfect, beautiful homily, everything. It's just been incredible. The last two days have just been absolutely incredible. Um, it's still kind of hard to believe uh, I'm a priest. You know, I'm still adjusting to having people call me Father Dan. Uh, I think Deacon Dan rolled off the tongue so easily, and now being called Father Dan, I'm just like, I'm not used to it. Um, I'll get there, though. So, um, Trinity Sunday. Um, one of the things that Father Bootery said in his homily last night at my first Mass, he did his first Mass Trinity Sunday. Father Robert Rogers, who is the current pastor at St. Louis in Bayou Blue, he was my predecessor as the other seminarian there years ago. His first Mass was Trinity Sunday. And then this weekend, my first Mass was Trinity Sunday. Um, I, that can't be coincident if you ask me. I think, you know, how can you say there's no God when something like that happens? Um, I do have a very fond memory of Trinity Sunday, though. Uh, my first summer assignment, this was six years ago, I was at St. Genevieve, um, and Father had asked me to give a reflection at daily Mass. And uh, so I said, okay, you want me to talk after communion? He said, no, I want you to give the homily. I just finished my first year of seminary. One, I'm not supposed to be doing that. Second, I don't have any homiletics courses. So I gave a little reflection. Um, he comes in my office that day, and he says, you killed it, you knocked out the park, you want to preach this weekend. And I'm thinking, this weekend's Trinity Sunday, also known as Heresy Sunday. I said, no, no, I don't want to preach this weekend. Um, I'll never forget that. So I finally get to preach Trinity Sunday, having a little bit more preparation, um, and, uh, but I'll never forget that story, though. The reason we call it Heresy Sunday is because there's many priests and deacons today who will try to explain what the Trinity is, try to go into relations, all the, the, the terms, the dogmatic terms, um, and they try using various analogies, and they all fall short. Uh, but just like college students sometimes, uh, you, some of y'all probably use videos to study for your classes, you, you know, have some concepts that might be a little difficult, so you find these awesome YouTube videos. There's a YouTube video for everything to help explain things. We did the same thing in the seminary, whether it be Plato's Allegory of the Cave, uh, also with Analogies of the Trinity. Um, so I found a video called St. Patrick's Bad Analogies. It's a hilarious video. Uh, it's this little cartoon video, and you see St. Patrick. It's an icon of St. Patrick, and he's holding the three-leaf clover, and there's these two leprechauns, and they come up to St. Patrick, Excuse me for my terrible Irish accent. But they say, oh, Patrick, can you tell us about this whole Trinity thing? But remember, we're simple people without your fancy books and learning. Um, and uh, can you use an analogy? So he starts using different analogies. The first one he uses is water. He said, the Trinity is like water, how you have one substance that exists in three different forms, solid, liquid, gas. And the leprechauns sit there, that's mortalism, Patrick. Mortalism? Mortalism. Ancient heresy by Sibelius claiming that the Father is one substance, or the God is one substance, but he exists in three different forms, that the Son and the Holy Spirit are not distinct persons. Come on, Patrick. Yeah, get the program, Patrick. So he said, okay, well, the Trinity is like the Son. You have the star, you have the light, and you have the heat. That's Arianism, Patrick. 
And so they say how Arianism is how the, like, the light and the, and the heat are creations of the star, but they're not actually equal with the star. And so it says that the, you know, the Son and the Holy Spirit are creations of the Father, but not equal with the Father. So then he says, okay, well, it's like this three-leaf clover. And they say, I'm going to stop you right there, Patrick. You're about to confess partialism. Partialism? Yes, partialism. From the show Voltron, where you have all these little robots that combine into one big robot, I've never heard of partialism. Of course you haven't, Patrick. It's not going to exist for another 1,500 years. I mean, come on, Patrick. So the whole point with that is that there's no analogy we can come up with that perfectly describes what the Trinity is. The reason is because God is infinite, he's transcendent, and our minds are very, very limited. We understand unity, we understand uh, equality and majesty, the three separate persons, but when you put those things together, it, it just doesn't add up. How you can have one plus one plus one, and it doesn't equal three, or I guess you could say it equals at the same time three and one. Now, my mom's a math teacher. She taught me very well, but for me, that, doesn't, that math doesn't add up. So that's the thing is, that's why it requires faith to believe. That's the thing is, you know, we could spend all day trying to come up with analogies and we'll always come short. So what I'd like to do today is just focus on what does the Trinity do? What does it mean for us? What does it mean that we have a Trinity? What is the mission of the Trinity? And uh, the other day, Father Mitch told me, he said, you know, think about the prayer of absolution in confession. It mentions all three persons of the Trinity. And I'll, I'll run through the words with you. Um, God the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his Son, has reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. So you hear them right there. And, and I was kind of sitting with that, reflecting with that, and you know, I, I wanted to ask myself, like, you know, how would I answer somebody who asks me, why do we go to confession? You know, we hear that all the time from non-Catholics. Why do you confess your sins to a priest? Why can't you just go to God? And one of the answers to that question is because it's very simple. We're human. What that means is that we have, we're body and we're soul, and we are both. We, we're not just souls that have a body. Our body is not an avatar. We are our bodies as much as we are our souls. And because of that, they're intimately connected. What the body does affects what the soul does. The same reason why we have different postures at Mass. You, you kneel for communion. You, know, you, um, you stand for the, the gospel readings. You sit during the, the first two readings. There's postures because they affect what's going on inside. Our exterior motions affect what's going on interiorly. Same thing with like architecture. We just had the, uh, the anniversary for the diocese, and we celebrated the dedication of churches for our cathedral and co-cathedral. And so we reflect on why we have architectures, because you look at the things inside a church, and there's this physical reality that helps to, to, with our dispositions interiorly. So let's take all that in mind. I look at that confessional. And I know we've been hearing confessions outside for the last several months. But I look at that confessional, and I know sometimes it's scary. It, it, it's very claustrophobic. It's a very tight space. I had to sit in there. Father Mitch was teaching me how to do confessions uh, in the last few months. Um, it's a scary box. It's scary for me having to practice confessions because there's four light switches you have to operate simultaneously. It's confusing as all get out, and I still don't know how all four of them work. But as daunting as that box is, I look at that. And what I see is the tomb that Jesus rose from. You know, we hear there's a, a, a saint several centuries ago, Cyril of Jerusalem. He used to teach in a way that in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, he would say, look, this is where Christ died. 
in the way that the tomb and Calvary were almost right next to each other. This is where Jesus died. This was where the crucifixion happened. And he would point and he would say, that's the tomb. They were all right next to each other. They built that whole church around those two locations. This was Calvary. That's the tomb. And in a way, that's what happens here at Mass, that this is where we celebrate the sacrifice right here. We rep- the sacrifice of Christ is represented. It's presented again. But I look at the confessional and I say, if this is Calvary, that's the tomb. Think of what happens when you go to confession. You open the door and you go in, and you close the door behind you. You roll the stone of the tomb behind you. And what happens? You go in there with your sins. You know, sin is always associated with death. And I think in the Old Testament, I think it's in Exodus, um, the Feast of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, they would take uh, two goats, and one of those goats, they put the sins of the people. Aaron would sit there, and he would literally like say the sins, almost like confessing the sins of the people over the goat. And that goat, they would send off into the wilderness to Azazel, he was a demon, and the goat would die. In a way, that's what happens when we go into the confessional. We go in with our sins. And in a way, we, we go in and we meet Jesus. We meet Jesus in the tomb. And we go in there, and think of, this is so cool too, with our baptismal priesthood, just like Aaron, the high priest, put his sins on, on the goat, we go into that confessional and we put our sins on Christ. We confess our sins. We empty ourselves. We put our sins who, on, on Jesus, who's the Paschal Lamb, who's the ultimate scapegoat. He's the fulfillment of that goat. We go in there. We go into that tomb to die to self. But remember what happens three days after Jesus is laid in the tomb. He rises. We come out of that tomb alive. We come out no longer held back by our sins. And I like to think, I pray with this image a lot, when we say in the Apostles' Creed that Jesus descended into hell, I like to think that he took all of our sins, because it was our sins that held him to the cross. I like to think that he took all of our sins, brought them down to hell, and buried them in hell where they belong. That's why I look at that box, and as as scary as it can be sometimes, it gives me hope. Because what happens after confession, we receive absolution. We receive the mission of the Trinity is reconciliation. You you hear the gospel reading, it's John 3.16, it's the most famous biblical passage that's always quoted, that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. That is the mission of the Trinity. It's reconciliation. God is love. God is mercy. So because of that, God didn't just let us to die in our sins. The mission of the Trinity was that God the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his Son, reconciles the world to himself and sends the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of sins. And think of you know, last week's reading from Pentecost. The first thing that Jesus does when he appears to the apostles again, he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven, and whose sins you retain are retained. The first thing Jesus does, he breathes on them, says, receive the Holy Spirit, and what's the first thing he tells them to do? He gives them the power to forgive sins. That's what that is right there. That box right there contains the mystery of the Trinity, just like every sacrament does. There's death and resurrection that happens in the tomb. There's there's death and resurrection that happens here, because the living Christ is is, is made present here in the Eucharist. And that's why, as Catholics, we're not cannibals. It's because what happens is Jesus is alive. Cannibalism is the eating of a human corpse. And this is why the Jews couldn't wrap their minds around Jesus telling them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'd have no life within you. It's because Jesus isn't a corpse. 
He's still alive. He rose again. So that's what happens here. There's death and resurrection here. There's death and resurrection here. Can you think of another sacrament that you think of death and resurrection? And I'll give you a hint. It's the first one you ever received. It's baptism. Especially during the Easter season we just celebrated, we hear this imagery in a lot of the readings and reflections the church gives us as baptism being a, 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 kind of a sense of participating in Christ going into the tomb. Right? We die with Christ. We, we, we go into the waters of baptism. We die and we come out a new creature. There's death and resurrection and baptism. Think of all the sacraments that involve the anointing with chrism. Every sacrament has this. Literally every sacrament. Death and resurrection. Think of confirmation. You receive a new name at confirmation because you're a new person. You are ontologically changed at confirmation just as you were in baptism. Yesterday when I received the sacrament of holy orders... My hands were anointed. There's an ontological change that happens there. For marriage, you die to self, but you become a new creation with your spouse. There's death and resurrection in all the sacraments. Why? Because that's the mission of the Trinity. Because God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of the Son, has reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. So we may not be able to fully you know, comprehend this unity and trinity existing together. We don't have to fully understand it, though. Because I've always said that seeing isn't believing. We hear that all the times in movies. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. Believing allows us to see things in a whole new light. When we believe before we understand, it's not to be naive. It's not just to, to, to give a cop-out to say it's a mystery. I don't know, but, you know, it's not blind faith. But believing allows us to see things differently. Believing, that, that, that faith, allows us to, to accept things that we don't completely understand. And I think we've had to do that a lot the last few months. This pandemic. We don't understand what's going on sometimes with this pandemic. Sometimes I don't know, you know, is it a hoax? Is, it, is this all planned? I don't know. But that to me, sometimes it doesn't matter that I don't understand everything. Because I'm able just to say, Lord, it's in your hands that I don't have to know, because you know what? Maybe that's going to be a burden on me. I'm just going to trust you anyway. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. The best thing that I can do is be an obedient son to you, be an obedient child, and hope that you get us through this. And that's what the Trinity helps us to do. It helps us to, to live in unity. It helps us to live in relation. That's what the Trinity is. It's relation as well. Because God is love and mercy. And so let's reflect on this, you know, reflect on this image of the tomb, that every time we go into that confessional now, you know, go in thinking I'm dying, but I'm also rising with Christ. As scary as that tomb might be, you come out of there and you're a new person. Your sins are forgiven. You're alive again. That's what the Trinity came to do. That's the mission of the Trinity.